Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Hawk's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, June 14th, and today, Eric Gardner stops by to tell us why you might want to watch what you search for on Google Chrome. One lawsuit spearheaded by big-time attorneys like David Boyce may expose the secrets of Google's incognito mode. And later on, Bill Cohan is here to talk about some new stock market worries as the market creeps into bear territory. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I am joined today by the person who is rapidly becoming one of my favorite guests on the show. No shade to our other Puck colleagues, but Eric Gardner, welcome. I don't know if I can live up to this, but okay. (laughs) I always feel like every time I read one of your stories, there's some little thread you've pulled and you turn it into a larger piece. And I think you are an essential read at this point and listen. So everyone listening, if you see and you're like, Wherever you get your podcast, it says that Eric Gardner is a guest. That's a must-click. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, the story I want to talk to you about this week is something you recently wrote for Puck a few days ago about a lawsuit against Google and a bunch of big, powerful law firms just won basically a lawsuit suing Google over privacy mode, incognito mode, I guess, in the Chrome web browser. Just to back up a minute, what was this lawsuit about? And then why did all of these (laughs) big plaintiffs jump on board? Sure. Well, you know, privacy is is one of these things that we care about every so often and then we forget about. And privacy is really tough legal claim to win. All the legal claims are, you know, a million years old. They date back to the phone era. (laughs) And Congress has never really gotten its act together to pass new digital Laws. Anyway, with this particular lawsuit, it deals with when users use the Chrome web browser. And there's a specific option in Chrome called incognito, and it's supposed to provide you with some privacy so that your your web browsing can't be tracked. What they don't really tell you is that you're still being tracked by pretty much everyone. And so that's where that's where this lawsuit comes in. The plaintiffs, you know, the cl- a class action, you know, claims that they're really wiretapping you. They're they're intercepting messages, even though they said they wouldn't, and collecting all this stuff and using it. And when you're in private mode, you're probably doing the stuff that you shouldn't be doing. So it's really sensitive and very valuable in- information. So Google's response to this lawsuit was, well, you have privacy. You have privacy from other people who are using the device. It doesn't save your, your web browser history. But we never said that, that we wouldn't collect this information. 
And the, uh, you know, the plaintiffs put up the splash screen when you turn on on this mode and they say, where does it say that you're collecting this information? And the judge agreed and allowed it to go forward. And for the last couple of years, these plaintiff firms have been really getting damaging information from Google, from their engineers, from their departments, all saying like, oh, this is a big joke. This is so misleading. You know, people are confused and everything like that. And, And even like figuring out what like the value is to Google from, you know, blocking this information. There's been a big chase happening. It hasn't gone to trial yet. The judge still needs to certify a class. The real, you know, development in the last few weeks is a judge saying that that Google has committed misconduct in this case by not giving everything that they should. So before getting into the power players involved in this case, like if you are a, I just want you to explain the privacy thing a little bit more. If you are a normal person, using the Chrome browser. Google's argument is incognito mode means that if you're at work and you're like playing fantasy football in the office, like no one can see that browsing history at your office. Or like if you're looking at inappropriate websites, no one can see that. But Google can use your browsing history, location, whatever, to target you with ads or products or whatever. Is that basically what the question is? Yeah, well, let's start from the very beginning. When when you download Chrome and when you start to use it, just like you use any Google service or just like you use any tech service, you sign uh, a terms of use and you you have to assent to, you know, they give you like this long list. Nobody ever reads it. They click yes and everything like that. But it basically you agree, you know, to, to allow these companies to collect information on you and then to sell them to advertisers and, and so forth and so on. So the question really is, did something change along the way? Did they promise the sense of privacy? Was there a point where the consumers were not actually consenting to what was going on? And here they have this thing called incognito. They advertise it as being their privacy layer. And they can say now, you know, well, that doesn't stop us from doing it. But, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people did not understand it. Now, some people probably understand that that their information is still visible to the internet service provider or something like that. But uh, I'm sure that they'll take studies and figure this stuff out. And they'll show internal Google documents that demonstrate that that they had a problem on their hands and that they knew that there was a problem on their hands. So this is, you know, a potentially big case. I mean, the plaintiffs estimate that that there could be, you know, billions of dollars in damages here. I'm used to, you know, seeing lots of, you know, class action cases and there's big figures, but then you look at like how much these companies make per year and you're like, yeah, it's not that much actually. But in this case, you know, billions of dollars actually does go to uh, <laughs> the wallet here. So I, I assume that uh, both sides are, are heavily fighting this one. So what, what is the motion that was filed that is a head-turning victory, in other words, for the attorneys involved? So they just finished the discovery portion of the case. And all along the way, the plaintiffs would say, we want this sort of information. And Google would say, well, I don't think you really need that. It's not relevant, you know, whatever, whatever. And so so what happens is that there's a referee that comes in the middle of this and says, okay, Google, you have to turn over this precise information. You have to look for this sort of thing. And so what happened as discovery closed was that right at the last second, two weeks before 
the end of Discovery, Google all of a sudden turns over these documents and they they include some pretty interesting relevations. And the plaintiffs are like, wow, what is this? Why didn't you give this to us a, a year ago when, when you were ordered? And so they brought a, a sanctions motion over this and the judge took a look at it and kind of agreed, yeah, Google, you, you should have done these sorts of things. And, and as a result of this you know, misconduct, the judge issued all these punishments that could actually have a material effect on the outcome of this case. This was something interesting that you put in here. So Google has to pay attorney's fees and costs uh, associated with this motion. And you're right, it reveals what often isn't public information, which is what attorneys like David Boyce, <laughs> who's one of the plaintiff's attorneys here, actually make per hour. How much does David Boyce make per hour? blow some minds. <laughs> he is very short, just, just, just short of $2,000 an hour. Oh, That's how much he makes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting because, you know, uh, as I write, you know, if you do such a good job in court that, that you make the, a fool of the other side and the judge, you know, deems the other side as breaking rules or bringing frivolous motions, you know, sometimes fees shift and the other side has to pay the legal fees. But in, the, in those instances, the judge wants a breakdown of, of the fees and the costs. And, and so the lawyers, you know, come with this full list of, you know, okay, here's how many hours I worked on the case. This, this is my fee and this is how much I, I work. So this, just for this one motion, mind you, there's lots of motions in this case, but just for this one motion, that's, that's a million dollar victory for this firm. I presume that they're spending tens of millions of dollars fighting this case, which you know also goes to show you how much they expect to win because they don't have clients who are who are fronting that money. They're making a bet that those tens of millions of dollars turn into hundreds of million dollars, maybe even more uh, down the line. Well, if you watch the dropout on Hulu, now we know how much David Boyce got paid by Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. <laughs> might, <laughs> might have, might have exactly. not been as much, but that is a ton of money for a years long lawsuit. The last thing I want to ask you is, and we've seen in Europe that the European Union has been very rigorous about regulating tech companies, passing laws. It feels like the U.S. government has not been as aggressive <laughs> when it comes to tech. Who is more consequential in terms of getting tech companies to change their policies, winning, you know, well, clearly winning settlements for clients, lawyers would be more powerful, but it feels like we learn more about the insides of tech companies from either lawsuits like this or leaks versus any sort of like government activity. Do you agree with that or am I just being naive? I do. And and let me let me say something that that many people might find surprising. But, you know, these big tech companies, they want the federal government to pass a privacy bill. They want they want a digital privacy law for for, for one reason. They want to be able to preempt what all these smaller states are doing. So, you know, there are states in, in the country like California or Illinois that have enacted tough standards. And what these companies are really dealing with right now are kind of a patchwork of different laws throughout the country. They'd rather have it all consolidated in, 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 into like one thing that they can look at, it's just standards that, that they can react to and, th and then deal with the regulation then. But yeah, right, right now, I mean, I, I think that these companies kind of can get away with a lot. It's kind of like a cat and mouse game right now. Yeah, there are lawsuits and everything like that. But, you know, after that happens, uh, these companies kind of just adjust their terms of service. They learn they and they move on. And usually it, these penalties aren't enough to 
really deter them from what they're doing. I mean, another angle to this is as quote unquote big tech becomes a target for Republicans in particular, you see attorneys general in various Republican states who are filing lawsuits against big tech. I mean, Ken Paxton in Texas, for example, is filing a similar lawsuit against Google around the incognito thing. He's also sued Facebook. But if you are like a tech company, all of a sudden you're facing like just uh, myriad lawsuits from all angles. And I can see what you're saying, that they'd rather just have some kind of consistency to deal with rather than having to sort of parry off all these lawsuits and pay settlements everywhere. That makes a lot of sense. It's even worse than that. I mean, talk about like laws about social media moderation. There are some states that say that these companies can't do quote unquote censorship. Then there are other states that that say these companies have to take down stuff. So how do you deal with it when you you get like conflicting standards? It's a real nightmare (laughs) these days. All right, Eric. Thanks, man. We'll see you very soon, hopefully. Appreciate the story. My pleasure. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking, I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are are pancakes i love pancakes more than waffles more than french toast a couple of my favorites so far the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites i love egg bites discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast midday bites and more no prep no mess meals factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping cooking or cleanup needed so sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Bill Cohan on his beat right now. Thank you, Peter. You know, this week, uh, it's been going on for maybe a couple of months now. We've really seen the financial markets reacting quite seriously in a negative way to the Fed's decisions to increase interest rates to end essentially what has been a 13-year program of keeping interest rates as close to zero as possible, both short-term and long-term which is something that they probably adhered to for way too long, although there were times when it did make sense, certainly after 
the 2008 financial crisis and probably for a period of time after the outbreak of COVID and the pandemic. Problem is that the Fed uh, kept at it too long and expanded its uh, balance sheet to close to $9 trillion from $900 billion, so a 10 times increase by buying all sorts of bonds and uh, mortgage securities and other debt-related instruments, effectively driving up the price of those securities and lowering their yield, which had the effect between their ability to raise and lower the Fed funds rate and also to lower long-term interest rates of essentially keeping the price of money down to the lowest levels in recorded history. And now that the Fed is reversing that in the face of what appears to be close to uh, out-of-control inflation, the Fed realizes it has to raise interest rates. The party is over. It is finally taking away the punch bowl, which is, of course, something it probably should have done long ago. And so now the markets are reacting. We're definitely in uh, bear market territory in both in the stock market uh, and the bond market. Bond yields have increased dramatically in the last uh, six months or so. And uh, the price of money is going up and will continue to go up as the Fed is expected to raise interest rates at least 50 basis points at all of its next, I believe, five meetings uh, for the rest of the year. So we're in a very sort of precarious time in the financial markets. Uh, It wasn't preordained if the Fed had decided to recognize that inflation was not quote-unquote transitory, but was a real and growing problem. Perhaps this could have been dealt with earlier, but there was going to be consequences to uh, uh, this 13-year policy of near zero interest rates. So it was a, a, a nice party. A lot of people who make money from money got very, very wealthy. People like uh, Elon Musk, who saw their uh, net worths increase tenfold uh, during the pandemic, from thirty billion to three hundred billion. For people who are on a fixed income, who you know rely on interest payments to you know pay for things, uh, it's been a very tough time. Now that's uh, you know beginning to reverse, although we're far from the end of that yet. Interest rates are going to continue to increase. But at some point, the Fed will stop uh, raising rates, perhaps uh, sometime next year. And, you know, we'll reach another inflection point and the, you know, the bloodletting will stop and uh, the markets will begin to uh, stabilize and recover again. I think what I find sort of immensely frustrating is that this sort of happens over and over again. We don't really learn from our mistakes, which is unfortunate. And that for small investors, retail investors, aside from sort of like selling everything and getting out, and then you have to incur, you know, something like 30% capital gains tax, there's no easy way for small investors, retail investors to protect themselves against this kind of correction. You know, hedge funds can buy credit default swaps, they can 
invest in other hedge funds like Universa, who is able to offer big hedge fund managers and pension fund managers a way to protect themselves when the markets are freaking out like they are now. But uh, small investors uh, can't do that. So maybe at one point in the future, there'll be a way for small investors to protect themselves in the same way that big investors are able to. In the meantime, uh, this is just something that has to be endured, I think. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.